Millions of frontline workers keep our economy running and are provided with the latest technology to do their jobs. But digital adoption, especially by frontline workers, is really hard. This is Frontline Innovators. We explore how to overcome challenges and achieve success when we empower our essential workers. I'm Justin Lake. And I'm Gene Signorini. Together, we speak with experts who are leading the way and driving digital transformation to the front line. This podcast is sponsored by Skillful on a mission to help frontline workers learn and use the technology needed to succeed in their jobs. Welcome to the Frontline Innovators Podcast. I'm your host, Justin Lake, and we've got another great episode for us today. Uh, Today's guest is a master certified life coach, a creative problem solver, and a hands-on corporate leader. He's currently the director of organizational enablement at a leading insurance company. Please welcome Steve Acuna. Hello, Steve. Hi, Justin. Nice to be here. Thank you so much for coming today. And uh, I want to get started as we always do and ask you the big question. What do you see as the biggest challenge facing the deskless frontline workforce today? First off, Justin, frontline workers are so important to businesses. And, you know, I believe that they will always be impacted by change. Uh, They will always be struggling through change unless there's a, a few things that change in regards to leadership and the importance and integration of change management protocols and processes within within leadership. So I feel like frontline workers are really the the case study for how change management can change the future of how we operate and how people interact with change management in general. So there's a lot to be said there, uh, but I do believe that frontline workers are really uh, the, um, the reflection, I would say, of how change management is actually working or not working in an organization. I, I think you couldn't have said that any better. And and actually, I just had a conversation with a team member internally about some interactions that we've had with some some external companies, and and we've noticed that also. And that you know we work in our business with a lot of the men and women on the front lines and, and the teams that support them, and we notice fundamental differences in the culture and how those companies. Uh, treat and work with the men and women on the front lines. Mm-hmm. And you can see a distinct difference between those that are having greater success in their ultimate execution with the men and women on the front lines in terms of how deeply thoughtful, deliberate change management is really brought into their their organization and their culture. Yeah, I, I can't agree more. I, I think the bottom line is, is that the DNA of leadership really needs to shift. And when we start thinking about the future uh, employees of organizations, they're going to have different expectations about what it means to be ready for change. And if competencies aren't enhanced at the leadership level, then it's not going to be taken as seriously. It's not going to change for frontline workers. It'll remain a challenge for them to keep up with all of the speed of business and the things that they have to absorb. Uh, in my past, you know, frontline workers that I mean, in many respects, they did have desks, they, but, but call center folks, you know, yeah. had to deal with a lot of change all the time. And it was, it was really difficult to make sure that they were ready for everything that was happening in the marketplace. And it was on the retail side. And this was when I was working at a large uh, technology company. Um, you know, those retail, the preparation for retail products and everything else really lends itself to a lot of training a lot of updates for knowledge base articles and things like that that really help frontline workers or in this case uh, call center workers 
to really deal with customer issues with the, the quickest responses, the best uh, incident resolutions, and really, in many cases, the best efficiencies that obviously it costs money to have support in that way. And it was amazing how, uh, how frontline workers, those folks particularly, were able to absorb all of that. And they did it in a way that was really amazing to me, but it was hard and it costs a lot of time. And in many cases, there was a lot of inconsistencies in the way that customers were, were managed as far as you know incidents or issues that they had to resolve. And I felt bad about it, to be honest with you, because it was constant. And the change though had to happen in regards to change, the way change management was approached because the effectiveness wasn't something that was predictable anymore. Um, it was really up to some really talented people that could actually absorb all those changes and actually produce a great outcome with customers. And that's just not fair, you know? So a lot of the thoughts around backing things up and preparation and readiness for change really drove uh, some behavioral changes in leadership more importantly, it started to build some additional competencies in leadership that drove a lot more effectiveness for our customer support, our scores, and the way that people uh, were, were feeling uh, supported as call center folks or frontline workers. So there's a lot of opportunity there, but unless we start to think about what creates the changes and how those are managed uh, intentionally by leadership, it's gonna be a difficult challenge that really won't change in many respects, I don't believe. There's always gonna be more and it's always going to be faster. It's always going to be a challenge, right? So, one of the things I, I love about call center operations is that the the organizations that we've been around with, you know, big call center operations, they know their numbers so well. Yeah. The the hold times, yeah, you know, average handle times, all all the other things. It's a very a uh, very detailed metrics driven organization in most cases. And so what's really interesting to me about that is the, the fact that they are so measurement driven allows you to really look at the problems very objectively, you know, somewhat mathematically and, and look at that to say, well, the difference in three minutes times a thousand contact center times a million mm -hmm. calls a year times, you know, it's like, okay, yeah, three minutes makes a big difference. And uh, so I, I'm fascinated by that. It's an unfortunate that in a lot of other areas, there's not as much volume and transaction volume and, and there's just not as easy way. So if you look at retail operations and field service technicians and, and some other areas like that, it's a little bit harder to get down to that yeah. level of granularity, but it also puts a bigger burden on those organizations because they are trying to tweak for efficiency and better customer experience and better customer outcomes. And uh, with there's so much with there being so much drive to the numbers that the human elements of that can sometimes be impacted, I think. What, what are your yeah. thoughts on that? Uh, I think it's a great point you're making. And uh, one I've thought about quite a bit because, you know, it's, it's really uh, ties into uh, a mindset. And the mindset is, is that you need to make situations better for folks to be um, performing at their most optimal levels. And with that mindset, let me back up to the mindset side, side of things. I think it's important for people to understand that you can affect how people operate and the efficiency gains just based off of making sure people are ready for change, period. Um, I think the metrics are great indicators, love the lagging indicators to understand what areas of focus need to be, uh, need to be discussed or worked on, but 
how about some leading indicators on the readiness components for individuals that uh, need to can per, per, perhaps even break through to new levels of performance based off of more systems thinking. Those kinds of things I think are critically important for companies to differentiate themselves. I mean, let's not do it like everyone else has already done it. Let's think about what needs to happen in the future for people to be even better than the expected metrics or tolerance levels for those metrics to show health. Let's try to create situations that actually foster breakthroughs, things that we don't, we can learn from the system as well if we do this right, so that we can learn how to be better in leadership positions and how to drive more effectiveness through change management. But I do think that, you know, the metric side of it helps because it gives people at least a lens to think about where, where are the opportunities. Um, but it's not just, you know, how fast you can finish a call to, to save the time, to save the, you know, minute rate, if you will. It's really about how customers feel about the interaction and the confidence of those individuals on the front lines. And I think that there's a lot to be said about individuals that can take partial information that's given to them and create a great experience with a customer, despite the fact that they weren't, they weren't given the right information, they weren't given the right ways to prepare themselves to do their best. What if that was flipped and we were able to do that and give people what they need to do their absolute best? What would happen? You know, what are the possibilities? What would the system teach us in order for us to gain a new frame of reference and understand what we need to do differently to actually create new uh, levels of tolerance that are higher than we expected before. We don't create a lot of possibilities for ourselves when we're looking at lagging indicators. The leading indicators, I think, are really interesting. Um, lagging indicators are, are great uh, to have and expected to have. But I, I always try to think about what can we do that's different that can actually differentiate the business. And I think that perspective um, is something that I try to work on a lot in my work uh, because it's not about what we've done in the past. It's what we're going to do from this point forward. Yeah. Well, what you're saying there is what can we do that's different? That's at the core of innovation, which is really what this this podcast is about, right? It's innovating yep. on the front lines and looking for ways that we can do things differently to get, as you said, those kind of breakthroughs um, on the other side. So I, I want to table that for a moment because I, I find my, I'm already getting into the conversation with you and I haven't even given the audience a chance to know who it is that they're hearing from here. So uh, let's take a step back if we can and sure. um, share a little bit about your background with us. How did you end up in a role like the one that you're in today and, and what brought you into change management? Yeah, so this is probably going to be a little longer of a of a story than you probably expected, but you know, I've been in I've been in in business for gosh over twenty five years now. I've been across I've been working across five different industries um, in both uh, IC level work work where I, I was the person driving all of the work and the preparation for uh, large you know uh, sometimes nationally national and international projects. Um, I got into leadership because I really felt like I could make a difference uh, because I understood what it was like to be an IC. And so when I got into leadership uh, back in the day, I was, uh, I was working in a technology industry. Uh, I was focused in on Lean Six Sigma work, which, was, uh, which is an interesting story in itself. But a lot of the work there was about driving solutions um, that were going to be impactful on the business side and save money, 
save time, effort, all of that. But it really wasn't human based. It wasn't, it didn't focus on the human objectives. Um, you know, readiness for things that were big shifts in the business were just, you know, kind of, you know, did the training get deployed? Did people take the training? Oh, okay, we're good. Did they get the announcement? You know, very simple ways for people to just know what's happening, but not necessarily be prepared for what's coming. And so those kinds of things started to, I started to recognize back in, the, in those days that something has to change. We're, we're finding roadblocks in our performance and certainly the projects that we were driving weren't as successful as they could have been. And it was really about that change management element. And so when I started to progress in my, um, in my work and my career, I, I worked in a bank, the banking industry uh, for a number of years doing similar work, but also with a lot more of the empathetic nature of the work, trying to drive better changes, trying to include people in the work itself and into the solutioning so that they're bought in, so they understand what's happening and they're also part of the solutions. In fact, their ideas are energized or activated within those solutions. Very different approach, but in those days it wasn't really, uh, there wasn't really a lot of methodology, if you will, that was, that was consistent. It was more like just doing the right thing because you got better results. Um, but as I progressed in my, my career, uh, continuing into uh, the technology industry after that, I started to recognize that this is, this is a thing, right? Change management is a thing, and it's really starting to be recognized much more as a differentiator for businesses to outperform one another. Because obviously, if you can uh, make the change happen, that's great. Great deployment wonderful deployment, but is it going to get you the performance, the out, the outcomes, the results that you expected? And that's when you start to switch from the deployment statements to implementation, where you're actually talking about integration of the work into existing processes, or even driving, uh, you know, new behaviors, um, new, new ways of people to interact with each other, new technologies of collab to collaborate with. Those are the kinds of things that really led us to another way of thinking about what success means when it comes to running great projects and getting work that is successfully uh, implemented. And so that's what got me started is the realization that it's really about the people side, the human side, that's gonna make the biggest differences. I mean, the, the other side of it, when it comes to the technical aspects or you know transactional processes, things like that, very much, um, the things I used to do back in the day with the Lean Six Sigma work. But you, you can get some great efficiencies there, but pretty much everybody can get the same efficiencies using those methodologies. You can get a lot more efficiency if you understand the human side in addition to that. And so we focused on that. And that's when you know I started getting into certifications and my, teams, my team was getting certified at, those at that time. And we started to recognize all the things that we never did that we should have done. And uh, it was eye-opening. It was really eye-opening to, to recognize that and, and to realize that, wow, um, at least I can say that I've done it the wrong way long enough to know what the right way <laughs> means, you know. And, uh, and that was kind of, uh, in a way, I had to forgive myself to recognize that I can take this forward and actually apply it. And uh, I also have a personal story that I can share as well, but... Um, different subject, but it does tie into some personal matters that really have affected me and how I've applied change management, even within my own life, you know, across outside of my job. So I, I want to hear the personal story. I, I really do want to come back to that. But you, you yeah. said a couple of things here that I, I don't want to let us go too far down um, before I ask you about these. So the, the first is Lean Six Sigma. 
I'm familiar with it. I've never been yeah. certified. I've been around people who are, and I, I kind of get the gist of it. You said something that I've never heard before, which is um, really not human-based. Can we dig into that <laughs> a, a little bit more? Because it, it actually yeah. kind of makes sense, but I'd like to hear you describe that a little bit more. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I probably have, I, I don't want to be offensive to any any folks that feel as yep. though Lean Six Sigma is not human-based. Let me just we'll, say we'll that We'll put a front. disclaimer on the podcast <laughs> good. notes, okay? okay? No offense Sounds is good. intended by these statements. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I appreciate that. Thanks. Um, you know, the human-based side of it is really about the behavior. And it's really about, and, and you've heard it many times over, I'm sure with, with previous guests and future guests, we'll always talk about empathy and what that actually means when it comes to uh, helping people succeed. Um, for me, it's, it's not so much, and from a Lean Six Sigma standpoint, it's much about the efficiency gains that systems create and um, the opportunities to optimize you know, when it comes to the metrics that are important to a business, whether it's cost savings, whether it's you know, throughput, all those things, very measurable, right? Everything has to be measurable uh, to the point of understanding how you're improving a system or a process. And so a lot of the process improvement elements of Lean Six Sigma are used all the time, you know, but it's also a process of actually identifying uh, solutions that are going to be optimal for the business and what those what optimal means for the business. So it's creating tolerance levels of certain performance levels that you know that you need to react to because it's below or above the tolerance of your system. So you do something or you have a plan for it. And so it sets all of those things up. You could set all of those things up and still hit the, miss the mark when it comes to the people side. So when I say human-based, I'm talking about people's ability to, um, the, the speed to competency. Are people aware? Do they understand? Do they have the knowledge? Do they have the support system? in order to maintain the performance that perhaps a Lean Six Sigma project would produce based off of what you see, measure, and uh, and the key for this though is to actually make that complementary. You know, it's an additive component to say that I've got a great process, but I also have people that are ready to perform in that process. And that's the difference. So in my earlier days, it was really about building a great process and then getting on to the next one. You know, it was it was kind of like that where uh, it wasn't. You know, things like change management and and helping people to um, with the support necessary for performance on the human side of things. At that point in time, given my frame of reference and my immaturity, actually in the corporate world, I would have said that's a waste of time. I mean, this is this is preventing us from getting that next project that we've got to land because that's just another set of, of strategies that we've got to get to. And that's the kind of thinking that that I grew up in in business initially, but recognized over time, very short period of time that that wasn't enough. That will never be enough. And so the human side of it is really about trying to understand how people learn. Uh, how they how they absorb information in a way that's going to be uh, retained. Um, also, we got to got to realize too that a lot of the folks that you're actually talking about that are frontline aren't paid that much. You know, sometimes uh, they aren't they aren't the ones that are necessarily um, there's there's a retention issue a lot of times with that with those particular those lines of work. Yet they're so essential for a business, right? So if you don't take those things into account, you in essence could create a create a, a, a fantastic process 
but people that can't perform within it and certainly don't elevate it. Yeah. Let me ask you something else. This is a, a little bit of a negative bias here, but I, I do want to ask your take on this. Do you think any times the humans might um, have incentive to sabotage a super efficient process? I, I think that there's resistance in every system to mm -hmm. change yep. and how people how people react to, to, to the resistance could go could go that way for sure. Um, yep. I think resistance can also just be people asking questions to just get smart about the situation. Whereas, you know, some individuals might say, I just don't want this to work at all. Yeah. And I'm going to do something about that. I, I haven't experienced that very often. I've had pretty highly resistant individuals for change. Um, there's usually some backstories about that. And, and usually it's because they haven't really been helped through changes in the past and they have right. assumptions around what that's going to turn into for them. Yeah. Um, so but I do I've heard some yeah. other guests have referred to that as change legacy, right? Some of the mm -hmm. bad experiences that they've had in the past exactly. are affecting how they're absorbing this change now. So exactly. I can be, I can be taught things, believe it or not. And I, I've learned that that's been one of the, maybe one of the most powerful learnings that I've had is that we don't get the luxury of starting with a clean slate because humans are humans, right? And that we can say we should clean the slate and start from scratch. But the reality is we are dealing with any potential burdens from past experiences exactly. of men and women at this company or maybe at a previous experience that they've had. And we, we have to take that into account. So sorry to interrupt, but that oh. is, uh, I think that's an important point. It's a very important point. And you know, that, that kind of, you know, quote unquote baggage that, that mm -hmm. we carry, um, you know, those are in many respects, what we're doing with change management, I might get a little philosophical for a moment, but when it comes to change management, we're actually asking people to create new agreements, not just for the process, but agreements for themselves. Um, we're asking them to do something that they may have not, uh, they've done perhaps you know, the same way for a number of years. I have, we have some folks that have done the same processes for 30 years and we're asking them to change them now. Like, what does that mean for them? Like, how, how do they, how do they incorporate that into the value statements that they, that they wake up and go to bed with every night for themselves? Right. Mm -hmm. Because, because it's so different. And I think that that those agreements are really some of the burden that people carry because of the trauma of bad change management or some type of situation that didn't go as expected. And there's almost like a piece of them stuck in that history. And part of the human uh, objectives of this is to really find ways to help people to discover that they, they can believe again. There are people that care about the situation. They want to make it better because they're driven and they see it as part of their calling to make it better. And I'm one of those individuals as well as all the hosts, uh, uh, excuse me, all the guests that you have um, are all part of a community of people that are all trying to create that type of environment within their businesses. Right. And sometimes it's hard to convince people that we're actually telling the truth when we say we want to help. And that to me is, is um, a symptom of a sick system uh, that really needs to get healed up. Yeah. So mm -hmm. when you, you talked about something earlier, uh, one more thing that I wanted to come back to before we get too yeah. far down the road here. Um, you said this in a way that I hadn't heard it said before. It's that people can know what's happening, but not necessarily be prepared to change. And I, I thought that was pretty interesting. I, I think I, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but the way that I perceived that was maybe people that are um, only doing the basics of communication from an awareness standpoint, but haven't really completed the, the full scope of that. T tell me, mm. tell me what, 
what you're thinking on that. Yeah. So there's, there's, to me, there's almost levels of, um, there's almost levels of acceptance of change management that we're all on, you know, uh, and this is a little philosophical, but I, I think about these things this way, because I try to be innovative in the way I explain, you know, what can be done differently in change management in my, in my organization and in my past. What I mean by levels of change management is that I think that there's really important aspects of having a methodology that everyone follows. That to me is level one, right? In fact, just having a change management methodology that everyone agrees to use is level one, right? Checking the boxes, doing the basic things, making sure stuff is just tight and, and makes sense and is sequenced in a way that's going to help people to prepare for change. I, I think that's great. Do more of that all the time. The next level, though, is when we start to think a little bit more about what does it mean to not only have the process of change management in place, but to actually believe it, to actually want to make it better than just the process alone. So what does that mean? To me, that means you're actually taking on more of the empathetic nature of what change management is about. It's trying to understand how to help people to be successful in a difficult situation. Um, and that, that, to me, is kind of like a level two type of approach. The level three is something that I've been really thinking a lot about. And this kind of ties a little bit more into your personal connection to change management. Eventually, change management starts to teach the teacher, I believe. You know, in many cases, me watching folks go through the process of change management, understanding the empathetic nature of it, seeing how people respond to it positively, but then asking myself, you know, have I really integrated these concepts into what it means for me to, to drive change? Have I actually applied this in a way that's outside of work that helps me in my life? And that's, that's the kind of level three that I kind of am in now where I'm starting to think about change management is not so much what I do in a nine to five job, you know, it's really what I've become and, and how it's taught me is really through some personal experiences that I've actually uh, gotten into um, that have allowed me the opportunity to learn more about applying change management in a personal way, but also to enhance and to stabilize and even strengthen my professional way of doing it. And so there's a lot to be said about, you know, where you're at in that, you know, continuum, but geez, please be level one, right? Because if you do that, that alone will remove probably 70, 80% of the problems, you know, but when you're trying to convince people to do level one, that's when, that's when communities of change management folks like us, you know, really need to come together to keep, make sure that we're stabilizing ourselves and helping each other to be successful in our organizations. Cause this is hard work. You know, yeah. it's hard work. It is. And it, it takes a lot of discipline and focus being very deliberate. And um, that, that's where I say, you know, looking at different company cultures and just that the culture within even segments of an organization in a really massive company, um, it, it takes a lot more than just checking the boxes. Although, as you've said, maybe just checking the boxes would be a good step one, just to be <laughs> starting to think in these terms. Um, but there's definitely an evolution that needs to take place. And some of our podcast guests have actually done a great job of, of describing the evolution that they, they and their companies have gone through as they started to build an OCM competency inside their organization. And that's, that's really, um, it's exciting to hear companies talk or, or people talk about what's happening in their companies. Yeah, 
Absolutely. Absolutely. You mentioned, Steve, I want to get back to this now. So I, I wanted to cover off on a couple of those topics, but you mentioned um, some personal experiences that you've had that have uh, kind of influenced who you are as a, as a change management professional. Tell me a little bit more about that. Yeah, uh, it's, it's a, it, yeah, there's just some personal things that have happened in my life that has really, that have really kind of uh, helped me turn the corner to understand you know, in that last, uh, when I was expressing the levels, like what level three means to me, you know, what does it mean to actually integrate this concept into my life? Like, so about four or five years ago, my son was uh, diagnosed with papillary uh, thyroid cancer, and he was 14 at the time. And, you know, I was, I was pretty, I felt like I was on top of my game, you know, when it came to change management and, you know, my career and what I was doing. Uh, I felt like I, I was really in a good good place, but this that situation threw us for a loop. And what it what it started to what it started to do is really challenge my ability to keep balance of being a positive change agent at my workplace and then coming home and being affected by change in a way that just makes you crumble. You know, uh, he's fine by the way. I'll start with that. He's done some great work at some fantastic. You know, talk about you know great nurses and surgeons and all sorts of support that we've had. He's doing great. Uh, I just want to mention that up front. Thank you. But, but the one thing though, that wasn't so great is how to deal with, uh, the process of change. And in many cases, you know, the process, the, the change curve, as you all know, is, is really something that foundationally we all go through. And it's in many cases, it's aligned with just the grieving process as well, letting go of, you know, of what, you were used to and starting to accept what you need to accept because it's it's what you what you've become or what you are or what you will be and in this case i was struggling and uh i had to really sit down and kind of and i you know i i do mindfulness practice where i i i i close my eyes and i think about like what's the best situation here what is the challenge that i'm dealing with and what is the reconciliation between those two. And I start to think about what that means to me personally. And it just dawned on me. I was like, you know, I've got the answer right in front of me. Uh, it's not change management at the workplace. It's change management in life. And I started to think about where I was in the change curve with the situation with my son. I started to think about what is it that I can do to actually help myself get educated. And I started working down just basically an ad car model on, on what it means to get through as a parent of somebody of a child that has cancer. And um, I started to recognize what that level three capability, competency, or understanding of change management meant because it was helping me to address some of the uh, difficulties that I was going through and the agreements that I had personally about resistance. And I, I was resisting every single moment because right. I wanted it to be different. I wanted this to all go away and be different. And I thought, wow, what, what, a, um, what a visceral experience to see this in a personal way and also recognize that any, any person that I'm working with could be going through that same level of change. And in fact, in some cases, some people might even be affected as, as strongly as that, perhaps even with organizational changes where their jobs are changing or maybe they're losing their job. And it started to dawn on me that this is a system that's all in one and I, I, need, to, I need to learn from it. It, needs, it. it can teach me is basically what I came to realize. 
And so this is how I started to think about change management, not just being just something I do at work, but just something that's much more of a calling of mine to help people understand that they're not alone. You know, we all deal with change, some of it much more significant than others, but it still is an individual experience that's important for everyone to listen to, understand, and help people through. And that experience itself really broke down a lot of barriers for me to recognize that I need to, I need to also swallow my own, take my own medicine when it comes to change and to recognize that I need to be kind to myself through that process. I need to forgive. I need to um, find ways to be supportive uh, when I myself, you know, need to recognize that I need to support myself, you know. So all of that really kind of brought to light the importance of this work. Uh, we call it change management. I call it sometimes just living, living life, you know, because we all right. deal with change. And right. um, for anyone that's gone through situations like that, or and my, my son's situation was certainly not as, as bad as it could have been. You know, these are the realities of what this work can do is it can actually give you tools that can go beyond the walls of your virtual walls these days, of course, uh, of your workplace and into, you know, ways to getting you through life. And so I find this to be a really incredible gift that I've received. Um, And it's and it's something I, I openly try to share as often as I can. Well, first of all, thank you for sharing the story. And I'm thrilled to hear that your son is, is doing well now. Um, I, I think that that personal story, you, you uh, there were a few things I was thinking about as you were describing that in that, um, like in many cases in, in a business context, not only did you have a role as a facilitator of change with your son, um, but you are also being affected by that change yourself. Right. And, I know we can't, it's almost silly for me to make this comparison, but I think there are some similarities in that, you know, we have managers and and other leadership that are being affected by this change. At the very same time, we're asking them to try to facilitate change with the men and women that report to them. and, And in the case of this show are on the front lines. So we have to have empathy for them, the men and women on the front lines. We're trying to help figure out how we can help them facilitate change or or go through that change. Uh, But we're also dealing with it, or many of the other men and women in the organization are also dealing with it. And so they have that dual role. And there's no greater version of that than being a parent trying to facilitate, you know, the the circumstance that you just talked about. Uh, But there is some version of that in even in a traditional business context. And, And that's actually come up on the show a handful of times now about the important role of leadership in change. So it's not just the men and women who are on the receiving end of the change, but it's also all of the other men and women who are in leadership capacity that also have to be facilitators and also be uh, supportive of that change themselves. And that's something that goes back to when you and I had our prep call together, you talked about this. I have this in my notes, accountability of leadership to frontline workers. I mean, it was one of your key themes that you talked about. And so um, that kind of permeates everything that, that you've described in your journey through change management. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I would say, and I agree, I, I think that that dual role was was exactly what I was dealing with on a very personal level. And it was hard because, you know, when, when you're a leader of people and folks are seeking stability through your words and your ability to keep 
everything moving forward to show courage. Um, and when you go home, it's a different situation. You know, you start to recognize this duality of your role that doesn't make a lot of sense. And I collapsed it. I basically just stated, you know what, this is a real situation. And so what can I gain from it by through the learning and understanding? What is it teaching me? And then how can I bring that forward to help uh, people at in my workplace or any other places that I was helping people through change? But to the point of actually having preparation for yourself or for your managers of frontline workers or you know, the system is the system. And if you're not thinking about change management all the way through to your sponsorship level and even to the CEO of a company, then you're also missing, you're missing some opportunities. Um, change management, as I've realized through this experience, is something that can actually help all levels, but it takes intention. It takes some planning. Uh, it also takes uh, a little bit of perseverance through the resistance that you're going to encounter. Um, many times with changes that we have just to flip back to the workplace, you know, we have a lot of cascading processes to ensure that people are prepared for questions. Um, and that has to be done in a way that is meaningful to those individuals that have to deliver the, the messages, right? To have to give the answers. If you're not taking care of the folks that are essentially carrying the message, um, you know, managers, directors, you know, leadership, um, then you do, you basically have individuals that are going to be not as prepared for addressing the resistance that will be, they'll be the first ones to be feeling that resistance. And sometimes if you don't do that well, then you're going to be in a situation where you're going to have resistance that has some teeth to it because you have leaders that represent larger portions of the organization that just don't, they've, they've stopped believing and so the fostering of the belief component is something I think that's really important and it takes some time and it takes attention. You have to build that into the plan. You can't expect leaders to just all of a sudden feel as though you're a leader, you work here, you know, carry the message, go forth, make it happen. No, they're actually individuals that are trying to absorb change just a little bit faster than the folks that work for them so that they can at least have some stability and, and maintain some kind of credibility with their folks when they themselves have to s deliver some message that, that, they don't agree, that the folks don't agree with. Um, we have to invest in those things. And for me, it became that lesson, that personal lesson made me realize that it's all one and the same. You have to just start taking things uh, as they are, you know, speak truth, speak with honesty, be open, be transparent, share the struggle so that people can understand how to help themselves and you ultimately through that struggle as a change leader. Um, these kinds of things also have byproducts that are, that are so important, such as trust, you know, and that has to be something that's just bedrock in the organization. We talk about trust all the time. These are the actual events that create it. Yeah. And so if you're not investing in it, I think you're missing opportunities. And I know in my past, when I wasn't so much into the change management, much more into the, the process improvement stuff, I missed a lot of opportunities. I missed a lot of opportunities. And um, because of a lack of trust, I think I missed a lot of opportunities to build trust. Right. Okay. Because yeah. of because of the lack of preparation that I didn't really put forward forth to individuals that were affected by change. Right. And so that's a, that's a mistake. Uh, I don't even call it a mistake. I just call it a lesson I learned 
And right. I think it was a great lesson because it's, it's, it's brought me to who I am now. It's one of those elements that has brought me to who I am now. So it's all appreciated, but uh, I recognize why it's important to do it differently. Yeah. So I, going back to the, the point that you made just about um, leadership and their embrace of change and them needing to be on board and, uh, you know, they're learning things maybe only a little bit earlier, but probably at a lot faster pace than what they're going to be delivering this news. What advice would you give to the folks in our audience about how to do that effectively? Can you share a story with us maybe about a, yeah. an example of when you've done that? Yeah, I think I think I have too many stories, you know, because I, I think that, um, you know, it's, it's really interesting, but the role of leadership and the personality that goes along with that is, you know, we always think of, you know, individuals that are self-driven, confident, can set direction, have the answers, you know, have the, have the courage, right? They're the ones that are going to step out and step up, right? When it comes to change that they, that an individual doesn't understand, or they start right at the beginning of the change curve and they start to, they start to resist, you know, um, that is something that needs to be paid attention to but not necessarily just the change manager, the leader needs to pay attention. There's a self-evaluation piece that we work on, which is about making sure that leaders are also trained in change management and not only just trained, but in, in many respects accredited to the point where they understand themselves and the situation. So this isn't a battle of wills. This is an understanding of evolution that they need to, uh, they need to commit to. Now, how they commit is their journey I can't solve things that are in someone's mind. I can certainly give information, direction, motivation, inspiration, whatever else you want to name to help an individual recognize why it's important to do something differently. But what they have to, what the individual has to do is recognize that it is part of the work. It's part of the job to actually do this well. What I, what, what really gets uh, under my skin sometimes is when people feel as though change management is a bolt on. It's, it's not a bolt-on. It's actually leadership. It's actually what it means to be. So when I think about leaders that I look up to, they're some of the best change agents, change champions that I've known, right? right. Why do I look up to them? Because they're self-aware and right. they recognize that this is what it means for them to be a solid leader. Now, I recognize that that might be a controversial statement. Some people might define leadership in a different way. We're talking about change management. We're talking about frontline workers that may not be ready. We're talking about situations that could potentially be preventable with better accountability and competency of, of change management within leadership ranks. So we invest in that. I invest in that all the time because I recognize that I'm one of those leaders and I need to also model it. So, yeah. but it's really, really an important points you're raising. Well, one of the things that's come up a lot on the show, and many people have talked about this in the answer to the first question, which is what is the biggest challenge facing the frontline workforce, is the pace and frequency of change. And if we acknowledge that, and I think I don't think I'd get many people to disagree with that, right? Men and women on the front line are dealing with unprecedented change. Yeah. And at the same time, we haven't necessarily redefined the role of leadership for the men and women on the front lines yeah. and we have to because of everything that you just said right so we can't expect just the the people on the front lines to be receivers of all of this change and expect them to adopt it at greater pace and not look a level or two or three 
into the organization and say, well, everybody else in the organization also needs to improve their leadership skills so that change management becomes a core component of what they're doing. Mm -hmm. And it's when we don't raise the expectations or change the definition of leadership in those roles that we see things start to break because the expectation is just that, you know, this flood of change gets pushed down to the field. Literally, I've heard this, the, the adoption rates of technology that I've heard from customers from my day business, it's astounding. I'm not even gonna say the numbers here because I don't want anybody connected back to proper names of maybe companies that they know that I work with, but it's astounding the millions or tens of millions of dollars that are being invested in technology. And then we're not dealing with these things correctly and the adoption rates of that technology are abysmal and, and embarrassing, frankly. And so, and I think a lot of it comes down to what you just said. I think there's such a massive opportunity for improvement in how we help the men and women, the, the frontline leadership develop their skills as leaders so that they can improve the facilitation of that change with the people that, that work for them. Yeah, I agree. Uh, one, of the, one of the most important aspects of that is to uh, have positive reinforcement. Like this isn't just like, you know, putting a project out and, and having a decent performance because you did project, you did change management. How about, how about relating people's, you know, bonuses to how yeah. uh, effective this process or methodology has become within an organization? Yeah. And then I, I can, I can tell you, you know, the effectiveness of, of, of when, when change management projects and, and the work is done uh, with intention, People have breakthroughs uh, on a personal level about how what they never thought they could do. Um, sometimes it makes them feel as though their job has become a lot more effective and efficient because they're just in a, a better place to basically provide the support necessary for customers. You know, what's the price tag of that? You know, when it comes to that individual going home feeling happy, um, I can tell you the price tag of it of losing an individual though, you mm -hmm. know, because they're unhappy. Right. And in these days, when it comes to the future proofing of leadership, it has to be about what people's expectations have evolved into. I mean, we've gone right. we've come from a pandemic that has basically turned, you know, work location up on its on its head because ultimately it's not even an importance when it comes to what we do as an organization. Who cares where you work? We have the technology to, to persevere and deal with all of that. But what's most important to me is the fact that people are setting expectations for themselves about what their life work life balance looks like, what their regular life looks like. Um, and ultimately, that's going to start to really affect what companies people are going to stick with. And we all know and we've seen all of this stuff about, you know, the great resignation, things like that. I, I don't think it's a point in time. I think it's a mindset. I think that the expectations have already changed and leaders have to recognize that part of this is getting good at change management and understanding that support system is what creates job satisfaction. So I think there could not be a better place for us to wrap this up. We, uh, we are out of time. And I think that last point that you made, the great resignation is not just a traditional retention and recruiting problem that has to be solved. I mean, that's the the tactical stuff that needs to be put into place now in order to, to resolve this, but there's a much deeper philosophical thing going on in the workforce today. And it's going to require everybody in every organization to level up on a leadership standpoint and really think about 
how to facilitate change, all the things that we talked about that I don't need to repeat, but I think that's such a key part of the great resignation and what will ultimately be seen as, um, you know, the solution to really starting to level things out in that area. So Steve, I really appreciate, uh, in particular, I appreciate you sharing some of the the personal uh, examples. So thank you for sharing that. Um, But thank you for just sharing your entire background um, and, uh, you know, what's led you to to doing the things that you're doing today. It's, uh, It's been a fantastic conversation. Thank you. Thanks so much, Justin. It's great to be here. Excellent. Well, I do need to wrap it up. And uh, for the audience, I hope you found this conversation as enjoyable as I have. Uh, If so, please share and rate the podcast. Five-star ratings help ensure that it gets promoted to other professionals like you that are innovating on the front lines. And a reminder that this podcast is sponsored by Skillful, the mobile digital adoption platform for deskless and frontline workers. Visit the website at skillful.com. That's S-K-Y-L-L-F-U-L.com. And you hear me talk about this on the show all the time, but we're always looking for other folks to come and join us as a guest on the show. So if you know somebody else that's out there innovating on the front lines, we'd love to hear about it. Reach out to me on LinkedIn and share their story or your story, and we'd love to get you on the next episode. Steve, thanks again for joining us today. Thanks so much. All right.